Hello and welcome to Barbarians at the Gate. This is Jeremiah broadcasting from Beijing, high above the Dongcheng district and locked in my apartment compound. Joining me virtually because he can't get into my apartment compound is David Moser. David, how you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm more concerned about you, though. You've been in lockdown. Is this week the end of week two already? Or what's how much time have you been in lockdown? This is apparently a question that's not easily answered because the people who live in my compound keep asking it. <laughs> to give some background here, last Monday, so the 14th, so this is like two weeks ago, actually now, 14th. Okay, two weeks, uh, yeah. There was, a, 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 there was a, a report that a student from one of the local elementary schools who lived in the compound next to ours had popped positive for the Rona. And so everyone in the neighborhood started freaking out. And then around noontime on the same day, it's like Monday the 14th, uh, it turns out that one of his classmates who also lives in a different building inside our compound had also tested positive. At that point, this is around noontime or one o'clock, security guards and the local neighborhood committee put signs everywhere, um, locking down the compound. People were allowed to come in. They weren't allowed to leave. And what was kind of funny is in the interim between people learning that somebody had tested positive in our compound and when they actually started to close things off, there were all these different people who were just fleeing the compound with suitcases. It was a huge like <laughs> exodus. My, my neighbors packed like suitcase kid, grandma and they just left and actually ended up leaving their cat behind and had to they had to send somebody back to take care of the cat because the cat was kind of stuck here well so wait a minute so this this is quite typical and it sounds like your case is very similar that that it's it's quite sudden and quite unannounced you don't have a day in advance and people get caught either out in traffic or caught inside the compound when they don't actually live there and etc and and so you're already talking about cats left behind. But the other thing I have is is people leaving with suitcases. Is is that allowed? And where are they going to, to spend the weekend with grandma or what? Well, you know, I think a lot of the people who live in my apartment complex, which is not like one of these super richy rich complexes, but definitely it's upper middle class. Like a lot of people here have overseas passports, or at least the kids do. And, you know, a lot of them have apartments in other parts of town. So uh -huh. I think that's where a lot of them are going. That I should say that by about noontime on Monday the 14th, that shit ended pretty quick. They uh -huh. locked down the compound and, and no one was allowed out. In fact, at one point, they sealed off our building saying we weren't allowed outside. And that started around like 2 o'clock in the afternoon and ended around 2.07 because I was outside my building when they taped the door shut. It was walking my dog and I was going to get back inside. So I opened the door, broke the seal. And when I oh, did that, wow. everyone rushed out again. But it turned out that that seal was actually, this is, where, this is where it gets really interesting. There's all these different people in charge and like nobody's in charge, at least at first. You know, it's the old story of like, if three people are running after a pop fly in right field, it doesn't triple the chances this ball is going to get caught. In this case, <laughs> like the seal on our apartment was done by the property management company, the people who run the apartment. It had like no force of law whatsoever. So that didn't matter so much. But once the neighborhood committee, the local party committee gets involved, then, then things get real. And that night of the 14th, they, had, they did test for everybody. 
And that night of the 14th, they actually went to one of the buildings where this kid lived and they started taking people out of the building and bringing them a centralized centralized isolation or quarantine. And we were looking on this WeChat group because this is this WeChat group for the apartment building is it's just blowing up. And you see all these kind of people who are like, this the accommodations are really shitty. We don't know where we're going. The kids are all scared. And there was a lot of kind of like, you know, nobody really knew what was going on at that moment. No one knew who was in charge. No one knew how long the people who were going were going to be gone, who was going to take care of their pets, who was going to take care of like elderly parents and that kind of thing. And then on our side, the people who are still here, we didn't know if we were going to be next. And mm -hmm. then on the 15th and 16th, this is like the, the, the next couple of days, they started doing mass testing. They determined that the only people who had actually tested positive had been removed or isolated. And then there was a formal announcement of a lockdown, which apparently looking in retro retroactively doesn't come into effect until the 16th so that we were kind of locked in on the 14th people are being tested on the 15th we still can't leave but the paperwork doesn't go through to the 16th it's a 14-day lockdown which means that we're effectively barring anybody else testing positive here until the 30th which is in a few days from now and then after that there's something called seven day home isolation which is very vague but means we can leave the compound to go to work, to buy food. But if, you know, our phones indicate that we're gallivanting around the city, you know, going to parties, going to dinners, going to tourist sites, even if your work is, I don't know, acting as a tour guide, then you could, you might, you might get a phone call from the neighborhood committee, or they might turn your green code. So on the app that of course we all use to get into in every place and around, they might turn that green code that grants access off and that would, of course, significantly limit the ability of any person to move about the city and to, to do anything. Going back to your uh, observation that people were packing suitcases and skedaddling, going to other parts of Beijing, my first thought was, uh, you know, as far as I know, they can track you wherever you are. In fact, that's how they find these indirect cases where you just happen to be in a supermarket or something with someone else who tested positive, and then, then your health code can turn red. These people leaving, it seems like that that's a futile exercise because, uh, you know, eventually, if they are listed as living in this apartment and, and they can track them with the WeChat app, your health code is going to turn red. You're going to have to go back anyway, or you have to going to be put in quarantine somewhere. So that seems like a futile exercise. And I wonder what happened to those few people who, you know, abandoned their cat and left. Uh, well, why don't we start with that? Because I have other questions about what you just said about the top down, you know, the, the mandates here. W do you know anything about what I just asked about? You know, I actually don't. I, I, I wondered exactly the same thing you said. When I saw people taking off, I'm like, dude, like you're not going to get very far. I mean, that, right. you know, big data. That's the whole point of that's you right. know, all this investment. So I don't know what happens. Does their, does their health code app, does their Beijing health app, does it change color and they have to come back? Does it change color and they have to submit the tests? How does that work? Or here's a possibility. Are they not listed as actually living here? Ah. Is, there official, is there official address somewhere else? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then this may be a, a, an example of how, and, and you and I both know this living in China, for as you know, so-called Orwellian as the state, is, the state here is portrayed, there's a right. lot of gaps. Yeah, And right. this may be an example of one of those gaps there. Though, again, that's conjecture on my part because I, don't, I, haven't see, I haven't talked to these people since they left. Right. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens when they come back. The cat thing, just for people who are worried. So they did leave. The cat was left behind. <laughs> and the the owner of the cat came to the gate of the apartment complex uh, that night and, and asked my wife and I, I said, could you please take care of the cat? And we were kind of like, 
all right, sure, we'll take care of the cat. Two years ago, the dude asked me to watch his cricket during Chinese New Year. So we, we have that kind of relationship. <laughs> but fortunately for us, and, and this cat is like one of those shaved, freaky looking alien cats. Fortunately for us, he asked his wife to come back and be isolated here in the compound while he, their kid, his parents uh, are in the other apartment. And so his wife is here looking after the cat in the apartment and uh, stuck here for 14 days. Yeah, much of what you say there, Jeremiah, sort of resonates with with something I've noticed. And, uh, you know, your pop fly analogy is great, the baseball analogy, because yes, indeed, we have several different layers here, but that doesn't mean they're going to catch the pop fly. And what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, there's when when something like this happens here in Beijing, there's like three different levels. One, of course, is is the municipal level. It's the people who are in charge of the whole city. Then, uh, of course, there are, there are administrators at the district level. It's a very hierarchical structure. And then you ha- also have uh, the people that are in charge of the the xiaoqu, the residential area, the 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 residential compound, uh, the management co- uh, corporation for the for the residents' uh, apartments. And then, of course, you have the Jue Hui, which is the usual you know uh, organization that sort of keeps track of. People like us, for example, how we're doing and so forth. So the problem is when when there's an outbreak or there's some uh, you know a positive test, then you suddenly get panic at all three levels. And the lower levels, people tend to overreact because, of course, they're afraid of making a mistake. That's the worst possible thing you can do here. We've seen so many examples of officials getting fired because an outbreak happened under their watch. So they tend to overreact, and uh, there's a delay from the time there's this panic reaction till there's the official pronouncement. In your case, you said it was two days before they there was an actually announced official lockdown. This is part, this is an ongoing problem here. Does this jive with your observations, and how does this uh, your particular lockdown f- fit into this pattern? Well, sure. In the, in the microcosm that is our apartment complex. In the early days, you know, it was mostly the property management company and then the the Jue Hui, the neighborhood committee who was involved. And for their for their purposes, they were trying to manage testing, which wasn't always going very smoothly because they didn't know how to use the different apps and the different electronic devices that recorded all the people's information. There's a learning curve with that. They were figuring it out on the fly. As and I'm not blaming them for that. Of course, this this surprised them as well. Then you had a second issue, which was people are being locked down. And in Beijing or in you know urban China right now, everyone relies on the Kui D lifeline, the you know delivery app right. lifeline for groceries, for food, for everything. Now, of course, the question was, can I mean the number one question or maybe number two question after how long is this lockdown going to last is, are we going to be able to receive our packages? And in the beginning, they were were experimenting with different ways of doing that. Essentially, it came down to allowing the delivery guys to come all the way up to the gate, hand the packages or hand the packages to people in protective gear who would then hand them to, you know, the, the denizens of the compound that they've been experimenting with that and kind of tweaking that over the last, you know, 10, 11 days. But that's basically the keeping the deliveries coming has been a big part of at least the uh, property management and the neighborhood committee's uh, priority, at least trying to keep the people here reasonably calm. Because if they cut off the deliveries, people here will legitimately freak out. It does also, though, raise some interesting questions about people who aren't necessarily part of this digital economy. There's still a lot of older folks, granted, not that many live in a, in a place like ours, who are not, they don't buy food online, they still go to the local market. And so there was a few comments in the WeChat group about you know potential food insecurity for the for older folks. So I don't think that's become a problem here, at least in this particular case. 
I saw in Shanghai uh, there were some areas where they were they were actually the the, the city was actually uh, instigating some deliveries to compounds of people. Did anything like that uh, was anything like that available in your case? Uh, they tried. Uh, they, it sounds like the neighborhood committee sent a bunch of boxes of fresh vegetables here. But the the property management people didn't know how to receive them or could they receive them, so they didn't receive them. So then they just put them back in the truck and no one got them. This was in the, this was an example of like early on how uh, I think a lot of wires are being crossed. Now I also say too, there we we talked to some of the people who work in the neighborhood committee, and these the, the, you know these folks were actually working close to like triple shifts. Uh, they were ever since the first case was kind of announced or at least suspected on Monday. Some of these people were working in, like, overnight because they were. This is a major deal for them. This is kind of what they've been in, in theory prepping for. So it wasn't necessarily for a lack of effort, but it was for a lack of manpower, a lack of experience, and just a lack of knowing exactly who is in control of what aspect of locking down several hundred upwardly mobile middle-class Beijingers. Eventually, what did happen, though, is that as the as the case becomes official, as they go into an official lockdown mode on the 16th, it activates some kind of uh, resource response whereby they could bring in volunteers uh, from different other, from the Beijing Municipal Health Service and other groups that then allowed them to be able to do testing door to door as opposed to getting everyone central, like bring everyone into the courtyard, cluster them together and test them all at once. And also it allowed them to, to, to get the manpower necessary to completely locked down the compound, which involved building steel barricades all around the neighborhood, plus checkpoints at all the streets. And then also having the manpower to then have people at the checkpoints who would take packages from the end of the street, wheel them in shopping carts all the way down the street to the compound, and then sort them out on the ground inside the compound for those of us who are here to come down and get our food and our supplies. So it's it's been, it's you know, on one hand, there's been a lot of kind of cross wires. There's certainly been a lot of confusion in the beginning. There were a lot of questions on the part of people who are here about what was going on. Would they get deliveries? How are people being determined who would have to go to quarantine, who wouldn't? But over time, it does feel like after, you know, six, seven, eight, nine days, people had kind of the, the, the management company, the Jueque, the neighbor community had kind of sorted things out. So it's been reasonably, I have to say reasonably smooth. There's been some, there's been some ruffled feathers here and there on the part of some of the residents, but by and large, people have been kind of sticking to it. And I, and I have to say that for the most part, and this is something I want to talk about in a little bit, you'd be surprised how much kind of community spirit there is. It's kind of like, we're all in this together, folks, let's get this done. And people are kind of, I mean, this may not be the best thing in the middle of the epidemic, but people are, you know, passing the time by hanging out in the courtyard and getting to know the neighbors a little bit better. And, you know, so there is that kind of community spirit. I even heard a story that this isn't in our compound, but down in Shanghai, apparently there was this one compound that everyone got together on the WeChat group and ordered like 20,000 kwai, which is like, for those of you not familiar with like renminbi basically like three grand worth of shake shack to be delivered to their compound <laughs> like we haven't got we haven't got reached that level of like community spirit <laughs> but by and large with some exceptions there has been kind of this feeling like we're all in this together let's get through this but but here's the thing here's one thing it, but here's one thing i just want to add about that and then uh, is that it's all predicated on one thing it's all predicated on this idea that if we all do this if we sacrifice if we suffer if we buckle down that in the end, this is all be worth it because we'll never get COVID. We'll always be protected from COVID as long as we make these sacrifices. And what's happening, I think, and I've noticed this in the last couple of days on this in the same WeChat group, people are asking the question like, 
wait a second, the COVID is currently spreading around our country, maybe not the level of the decadent diseased West, but certainly at a level it's a lot higher than it's been up to now. And we're still missing work, missing school, missing a life. Is this worth it? And they get shouted down by some of the more uh, patriotic members of the WeChat group, but still there's a lot of pushback uh, and more pushback than you would think. And I'm just kind of curious to see how this is going to play out. Yeah, and I think you're right. I certainly have seen up to the present time, I think there has been a phase shift a little bit. But I want to go back and mention, you know, You mentioned the fact they erected these barriers around your your compound. You know, I've always been, since I came back to Beijing, struck by the fact that the way that the hierarchical structure here works and also the, what you just mentioned, this sort of communal spirit of, you know, at the grassroots, uh, cooperating and getting things done. You have these, we, and it has to do with this uh, tiered sorts of administrative uh, control that we just talked about, where you have the municipal level. And it seems to me that I was surprised um, when I came back to Beijing to see all of these different areas, the compounds that had been closed down because they, they needed to create closed spaces uh, where you would have only one entryway so you could monitor the people that go in and out and, and make sure that their their health code, you know, their barcode was was okay. What was interesting to me was, uh, you know, China is uh, still even still to this day a culture, a civilization that's quite obsessed with walls. Uh, certain kinds of most Danways, most of the universities, the schools, a lot of factories, hospitals, they all have a wall of some kind. Uh, that's 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 pretty solid and usually has you know multiple entries and exits certainly the campus that I that I work at has several different uh, exits but at a moment like this it's very easy to close them all off and leave only one entryway so that they can monitor people that come and go but in these neighborhood areas and especially in hutongs there's no sort of obvious boundary a, a barrier that that might keep people in and out so what was fascinating to me was that there was a top down sort of uh, mandate that all of these areas had to be closed off blocked off so that that all the compounds only had one very obvious entry and exit where people where you could be manned where people could you know uh, have people scan their barcode but it, but every case was a, was a unique case not every you know residential area is the same some are very porous some have pretty good walls and it, it was it struck me it was the speed which which the lower ter- ter- tiers of the municipal administration were be able were able to be mobilized and set up these makes makeshift barricades with these ad hoc entries exits uh, for the COVID testing places. You have all these places with uh, and you know where are they going to get the materials for this? So you see these barricades. They're sort of scrap metal, uh, using random infrastructure, kitchen tables. I've even seen them use these sh- bike uh, sh- uh, the sh- share bikes, the sharing bikes, the Xiaohuang, stacked up. These dilapidated, use- useless bikes stacked up to make a barrier. You know, random plywood sheets, stacks of bricks from construction sites. It's amazing just the ingenuity that the the local people were able to use and, and just grab whatever grab bag of of small scraps of things they could to to make this ad hoc infrastructure and and then also the fact that you know th- this sense of you know in a sense of crisis everyone was working together you had the 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 guards at the door at the gates who would have to do double duty they would sometimes sometimes be at the residential compound and then sometimes at the street level that you're talking about you know I, I would see them and say hey what don't you ever get a break here you, you you were there just for five hours over there and they said Jabara, you know so that, so it is true I'm, I'm impressed by this society that 
that um, you know, obviously, it's a very top-down society, and it, and and the the cost of making a mistake can be very high. But still, it is an amazing for the cohesiveness of this civilization of this of this society in a moment like this is quite quite stunning and quite amazing. And it comes with when you see these barricades and ad hoc solutions. Still to this day, some of them are up and functioning. It's it's really quite an amazing thing. You know, the barricades too, at least at our compound, the construction and deployment and reinforcement of the barricades, the ropes, the signs, the steel fencing, it, it does seem to coincide with the different times this week that we've had municipal inspections from people from the central government, or the, the central government, excuse me, from the Beijing city government. Right. And it, it, we've had that a few times. In fact, we actually had uh, the uh, Beijing party secretary kind of cruise down our street early on in his motorcade. This was one of the, when it first, when it first began a couple of weeks ago. So every time we have one of these, uh, you know, VIPs, things kind of all of a sudden there's there's new construction being <laughs> made. We're also told that's also when we're told we're not allowed to leave our buildings. But right now the way it works, and this is different than some other places. So one thing I want to point out is like is as much as I'm bitching about all this, actually our situation is better than a lot of other ones I've heard because I I can actually leave my building. I just can't leave my compound. So for example, you know, I I can go walk my dog. I can, I, and they get up in the morning, I do go running, although it's like 250 meters back and forth, which is basically the same thing as, you know, my dog. So there's, there's that. But when the VIPs come, when the, when the Lingdao are here, when the leaders are here, we're, we're supposed to like uh, maintain the fiction that we're actually staying inside and, and keeping to quarters. You know, this, it is interesting to see that the amount of like all these different structures that have surrounded our complex, which theoretically are going to be coming down on Wednesday, although, you know, we'll have to see how that goes. But, you know, David, don't just take it from me, because after all, I am, you know, a Western imperialist. Uh, I come from a country where the policy towards these things is very much infect them all. God will sort it out in the end. So I thought maybe it would be appropriate at this point to try to bring in somebody who is also locked down in this compound, but who comes from the culture that you're describing and see if perhaps they might have a different take on what we're saying. And of course, we're going to bring back uh, our friend uh, Jung Yajun, who is the host of the Woman podcast, and get her take on this in just a moment after these short messages. Okay, welcome, Yajun. Good to see you. Happy to be here. So you've just had the minority report here. <laughs> we, we foreigners are a minority. <laughs> Giving our impression of what's going on uh, what for, as a Chinese person, and you who probably are more in touch with social media and other aspects of society than we are, uh, what's your feeling about specifically the lockdown that you're experiencing now, but also just overall the, the process of this, uh, you know, quarantining and lockdowning, uh, lockdowning in the last uh, few 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 months? Yeah, it's. Definitely has been a very interesting experience. Actually, not only me, a lot of my friends and colleagues are affected by this round of this wave of COVID. But for my personal experience, first, I was really surprised how unprepared the local government is. You thought that after more than two years of dealing with the COVID, there got to be some protocols, there got to be a way, what procedure, what to do, right? But as soon as we enter in this uh, lockdown, this uh, quarantine period, every day, there's uh, something new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically, actually, it's about, you know, whether we, we can get uh, the, the deliveries or whether we can go downstairs, whether somebody is uh, taken away to be centralized for quarantine. 
but the rule just changed every every single day. I mean, Jeremiah shared a little bit about one of the different trials or solutions that that the, the property management company for the compound and the local uh the, the the local party committee they have tried. But you thought you know after two and a half years they wouldn't know they would have a way to deal with this, but instead. You know, every day I feel like there's something going on. For a while, they agree that we can get the package, and then in the afternoon they said, "Oh, you cannot get delivery." So every day there's some drama happening.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just feel like eventually they figure out a process. Seven, eight days after we、uh, <laughs> after we ended the quarantine. I mean, China is famous for our efficiency. But this is not the best demonstration of that. I was really surprised, <laughs> to be honest. You know, I think what you're saying is true. But on the other hand, you know, the other countries have not all have also not been models of efficiency. Of efficiency, and I I think do you think that the problem is that 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 the that COVID nineteen the process of COVID nineteen evolution and so forth has been so unpredictable, and there have been so many. Uh, you know, pronouncements of a new phase that didn't pan out because you know a, a new variant came, and also just because、uh, you know the situation change changes.、Uh, there's new policies, and especially in Beijing, there's been many, many different changes in policy. Do you, do you, how much do you think it's the the, par, par, the fault of gov, government、uh, inaction or government in, inefficiency, or is this just part of the problem of an unpredictably evolving pathogen? Actually, if you look at the Chinese government's policy, at least in Beijing, I don't think it changed quite dramatically over the last two years. It's the basic principle. The basic principle is that we just need to handle it. We just need to nail down every single case and trace all of that and find out all of the close contact and make sure we deal with every single case. So that that has been their principles and solutions and the, the policy. You're saying the zero COVID, the, the the zero COVID policy has not changed at all. That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. So,、um, based on that, you assume that there's a standard the way of dealing with compound, dealing with the close contacts. So, for example, for our compound, which has one confirmed case, we should know. Or the local party committee should know how many days we are under lockdown. Hmm. But right now we are already in day twelve, I think, starting from last Monday. There's no official information from an anybody to tell us which day we can get out. Wow! So there's a confusion. There's a confusion that our quarantine start from Monday, from the fourteenth, from the fifteenth, from the sixteenth. Nobody knows, and actually, before right before this interview in the local compound WeChat group, people still asking, "So when can we get out?" And they call the local party committee office, and they don't know. They said they are waiting for the final instruction from、uh, the municipal CDC to let them well to let everyone know when we can get out. Wow.、Um, I think you know, you know for us, for example, I can work from home. Jeremiah can work from home. That's fine, but you can imagine for some of our、uh, neighbors, their work required them to go to work to punch in and out. They need to give their bosses a reason and the period of time when they are going to be absent, particularly for the one who cannot work from home, right? 
Right. But they can not get that information until now, twelve days in the wow. quarantine. Wow, that's that's very frustrating. Very frustrating. Uh, you know, just now Jeremiah mentioned that uh, or observed that in the beginning last year, and when the, at the beginning of the outbreak, that there was a sense of communal cooperation, and we're all in this together, and the sort of the, the you know the the Chinese uh, communitarian kind of spirit of we working together. But but that he and I both sort of noticed that this sort of chief and this sort of atmosphere of communal you know self sacrifice is eroding a little bit now as people get uh, a bit impatient with this. Do you do you feel that and do you see that in the WeChat group and with your among your Chinese friends? Yes, definitely. You you, you see more and more articles uh, came out on social media recently that people question whether this kind of the zero COVID policy is effective anymore because. The COVID changes is not the original virus anymore, right? Right now we have after Delta we have a uh, Omicron, and more and more information we received about Omicron is that a lot of symptom is not as severe as the previous variants, and also particularly in our compound, many of our neighbors have friends or relatives living overseas who have experienced the Omicron in other countries. So somebody start to raise that. Is this the most effective way? You know, one confirmed case lead to the lockdown for hundreds, of, for hundreds of households. Is this the best way to do this? But at the same time, there's definitely you see people argue with each other. You you can see the older generation who focus more on the 大局 right? The 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 big picture. Uh, that's what the government keep telling people, right? If you look at the big picture, and you should sacrifice for the country's benefit, right. for the overall benefit. But recently, there are a few cases. For example, in Xi'an, there was a, a woman, pregnant woman, was about to give birth, but because he did, she didn't have a COVID test by then, she was not allowed to get into the hospital to give birth, and then she died. So that led to a lot of question of this kind of rigid policy.、Mm -hmm. So just now, you know, in our、uh, local WeChat camp,、uh, discussion, that some neighbors just saying that oh, that the hospital did the right thing because they look at the the 大局 the overall、right. picture, but. Somebody jump out immediately, questioning that, saying that、oh, that's just not humane. If that pregnant woman is in your family, you wouldn't say something like that. You know, last time that we talked to you, we were talking about in the information environment and the the disinformation and the lack of information. Have you? What have you seen in terms of right now? You know, we're we're engaged worldwide with you know our attention is focused on、uh, the on Ukraine. And the Putin invasion, and、uh, and of course, there's still a lot of accusations flowing back and forth about who's responsible for the virus, and lots of scan, lots of、uh, QAnon type、uh, conspiracy theories. And this surely must be. My question is, you know, we see this on Western social media because we have a very free, open sort of social media environment. What's the social media uh, environment uh, in, for Chinese?、Uh, do you see all this information spreading around? Lots of all chaotic accusations and 
and misinformation and disinformation? Or is it a cleaner environment because of the top-down censorship control? I think particularly under the current situation, you thought, you know, Ukraine crisis, what the Ukraine war would be the uh, key topic in, in, in China. But actually, because of a, this wave of a COVID, people's focus is this. It's much more real. Uh. Uh, it's much more in people's life. But interestingly about that, like we discussed for the last two years, because it, the government has been quite successful like, dealing with the COVID. So you don't see a lot, a lot of like um, social media message question, this kind of a policy. But recently, I do notice more and more people start to share their horrible experience during the, 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 the COVID. For example, one girl was uh, like stuck between the suburb of Beijing and the Beijing main city. Uh, she was stuck on a bridge in the middle of the night and cannot go back to her home in the suburb of Beijing because, um, you know, her cold turned yellow, healthcare cold turned yellow. She cannot go back and she cannot go back to Beijing because of that. So she's totally stuck uh, a bridge between the two areas. Uh, and stayed there overnight. And a lot of people had this kind of experience. Before, you wouldn't see that. It's just, you know, the government, I, I assume, that did a very good job. But right now, particularly in big cities like Shanghai, Shenzhen, and Beijing, you know, the, the government just locked Shenzhen for the whole week. Can you imagine a city with 25 million people and just stuck there doing nothing, even cannot going out to, to buy groceries? Well, Shanghai, you know, yeah. a huge city, right? Mm -hmm. So more and more articles, one more questions, one more doubts start to appear on social media. And I'm, I'm to be honest, I'm, I saw a lot of articles and I'm surprised that they're still not censored. You, you, you still can read them. Uh, maybe the government's too busy to, to do a more <laughs> thorough job. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we all talk about cities, you know, with the largest populations in the world, right? Uh, I'm surprised there aren't more stories like this. I mean, when you stop and think about it, basically every person in Beijing cannot do, cannot be without WeChat or a cell phone. If you don't have your cell phone, you don't have the WeChat. If you don't have the uh, the 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 what do you call it, the health health kit thing on your phone. You literally cannot leave, as you say, you're stuck. You can't leave anywhere. You can't get a taxi. You can't go into... Um, for me, the, the, the biggest terror, I wake up at, you know, with nightmares of losing my phone and being stuck somewhere in the middle of Beijing. But I, I, I'm always surprised that there aren't more such stories of the woman on the bridge who can't go back to Beijing and can't go to her home. Maybe even you have had this experience. I don't know. Uh, luckily, I haven't. But I do have a colleague come came back from traveling another city just because they transferred their flight in, in a city with the COVID cases for a little bit more. More than four hours. Four hours is the limit. Just because they stay in the airport for a little bit more than four hours, their uh, health care turned yellow when they came back. So they have to stay home at home for um, 14, 14 days, even though in that airport, there was no case. So you can imagine how widely <laughs> the, the, this kind of situation affects every people's life. Oh, one little thing I want to share is quite interesting. I, I would say it's particularly about that kind of it. I would say it's a demonstration of a Chinese culture. What can be said? What cannot be said 
uh, in this kind of situation. For example, Jer- Jeremiah mentioned that over the last few days, at a certain time, we are not allowed to get downstairs to uh, to pick up our package. And then immediately people know that the Lingdao, the, the, the bosses that, that, that refer to like municipal leaders or district leader, they are coming here to visit. And then everyone immediately understand that, that we need to give a Lingdao the face. <laughs> and everyone just very quietly uh, staying at home saying, that, oh, let's not get down to the compound. Let's give a Lingdao some face. <laughs> So it's kind of well coordinated. Everyone kind of uh, understand that code. And the other day, there was a a, a guy trying to put a magnet uh, magnet object at our door. So it's a device, you know, normally it's a con- connected to the uh, central data office. And if you open the door, the magnet uh, object will sense that the door is open. Ah. And if you open more than three times uh, when you are quarantined at home, and you you, you would receive a call from local uh, government asking why you open your door so many times. So it's a very effective devices for local government to supervise people's behavior when they are home quarantined. But somehow, um, our compound, actually not only our compound, three or four compounds in our neighborhood, decide to put that object on every people's door to demonstrate to the bosses, to, to the leaders, that they are doing everything they can to provide the virus to, to spread. And when I opened the door, I saw this guy was doing that. My first reaction was like, oh, shit, I, I cannot go downstairs to pick up my package or I cannot work my dog. And his reaction was like, oh, no, that's totally fine. And I I was confused. You know, that kind of a magnet object is supposed to stop you from going out. Then I asked more questions. And of course, being a Chinese, you know, he has to give a wall of the official line. He said, oh, this is uh, the area that you you have to stay at home. But, but that we don't have enough people to supervise everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, y- 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 you yourself read between the lines. So as a Chinese, I immediately understand what he was trying to say. So basically, he means that they have to do this kind of formality thing. Mm-hmm. But Nobody is going to keep eye on you. Mm-hmm. Funny that they put that object on everyone's, every household's door. And the next morning, I got up and we, we walk around and see several of those objects was, were on the ground because it was like really badly made. And <laughs> they just fell on the floor. Yeah, it's really bit of the purpose. And I'm sure nobody is sitting in those you know, right. data center to supervise us. It's just kind of some formality to to show to the boss that they are doing their work. That that is a fa- that is a fascinating detail. Thank you very much for that. That's fantastic, um, and that go- that goes along with what we were just talking about about the different layers of the the top down sort of mandates and the lower people are afraid of making mistakes. That's a perfect. Absolutely perfect anecdote. Great. Well, thank you very much, Yajun. Um, I hope that we can talk with you more. Uh, we, 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 we benefit a lot from your insight and from your, uh, your Chinese viewpoint, let's put it that way. Very nice to have you on our podcast. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. That's a pretty telling anecdote. Yeah, no, I thought that was pretty interesting as well. And uh, yeah, I, I was actually tempted at some point to accidentally knock the thing off my door. But then when I, <laughs> as yeah, June said, I woke up in the morning, the thing's on the ground and, and she walked around the hallways and about half of them had fallen off because they were this 
cheap, like as like kind of like the stick peel and stick kind of it wasn't really a magnet it's like a peel and stick thing and yeah it no was, i understood it was, i understood what shit, yeah it's it's a cheaply made piece of shit that doesn't really do what it's supposed to do and no one cares anyway it's just it's a a sign to the the people upstairs that you're doing the right thing yeah that's exactly as it right could. because you, you can never get it you can't get in trouble for doing too much at least in terms of the at least in terms of of up the the one thing i would say i think as you kind of alluded to this is that you know we're talking now about shenzhen shanghai and Beijing. Now, the thing about these cities is that a lot of people, I'm thinking about my compound, for example, as I said, it's not, you know, this isn't like luxury apartments, but these are mostly upper middle-class Beijingers. And, you know, one of the things about this group is this is at least for the, and, and disagree with me, please, but like for the last 30 years or so, the upwardly mobile urban class is the is the group that the party has focused the most about keeping on their side that you know what the farm the farmers whatever they think the workers yeah but it's it's the people who are traveling abroad the people who have studied abroad the people who are kind of that and, and they're worried about what these people think and they and the for, and to, to be fair for much of the last three decades they've by and large, they have this group. I mean, certainly people question the policy, but the, the support is definitely there. But I do think that this particular COVID wave, there's a lot of people in these big cities who are feeling the pinch in a way that they had not before. Right. Uh, when it was affecting other, you know, so-called second tier, third tier, fourth tier cities. And I I, I kind of, as I'm, as I, I'm wondering... Are we seeing, as as June said, all this social media posts because of COVID fatigue, which is part of it, or is it also because this is now affecting a group of people who are more willing to speak up and are a little bit harder to, you know, suppress because you don't want to push them too hard? And I, I just wonder how that's going to pl- what 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 that will do in terms of the thinking about the policy for zero COVID. Will this open up? You know, because I, I, I'm going to tell you, and I've said this, I can't remember how many times I've said this on this podcast, David, but when, if, whatever, Omicron breaks through in China and people start to get infected, if there's ever a moment where China has more cases than in the U.S., you know, because of the way that the, the trends are working. Now, it won't be the same as the U.S. because people are vaccinated, Omicron we think is not as serious. There won't be these mil- there won't be these mass deaths that you saw in other parts of the world in the early years, early stages of this pandemic. So there's something to be said for that. But at least people's mindset's gonna be like, ah, I did all of this right and I'm still got Omicron. Like what the hell? And yeah. I, I wonder if there's if there's a plan for what that for dealing with that when if that happens. Yeah, no, so true. Um, you know, there's, there's phases to this and people are only willing to go so far. And as you point out, I mean, this is similar to the West and the United States, certainly. There is a class difference here. And and we are members of this class for whom, you know, a lockdown, a quarantine doesn't affect us that much. We're able to continue our work at home and some people are able to continue their lifestyles, you know, as usual. And these are the people also in the West that you know, or the movers and shakers that, that that the government would tend to to pay more attention to. It's the it's the people who can't afford to you know take weeks off or to stay at home. The people who are the delivery people, the people who actually keep the lights on. And it's a class thing. I, I think in some ways there's a lot of similarity between the U.S. situation and the Chinese situation. 
with that. And and in both situations now, you have people of the elite class that are also getting impatient and angry and, and waiting for this thing to get over with. Maybe there's maybe there's not as big of a difference as we might think between the two the two cultures. The difference is, as you say, that China risks a, a, an enormous uh, disaster if their zero, zero COVID policy can't be continued and you do start to get large numbers of people infected and even some deaths because uh, you know it won't Omicron is not the last variant right there's going to be others and we also know that the Chinese uh, vaccines do not work as well as the Western ones uh, on these on these variants. Yeah, that's it's interesting you say that there has been some I did see some uh, articles this week though. Uh, Josh Chin of uh, the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. He's at the Wall Street Journal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Josh Josh tweeted something that, that there was a, a there was a, a study that had been released this week that suggested that the Chinese vaccines, at least I think it's I saw that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Does may, do may not be as far may not be as far off as right. as it, as people were worried specifically for older people that it in fact was effective in warding off serious serious symptoms of disease and while i you know I, I tend to push back on this narrative like china's hiding numbers i, I mean i don't know if the, the numbers they're releasing are exactly correct but i don't think they're hiding like 50,000 cases no. out back that kind it of it would thing. be it would be but, impossible but i do i do wonder and this is more anecdotal in terms of talking to people particularly older people and seeing what happened in Hong Kong as well, are the vaccination numbers as accurate, the vaccination rates? Because oh. the districts and the, and the municipalities were under so much pressure to fulfill their vaccination quotas. I just, one thing I worry about is that were people, are, are the rates of vaccinations as high as we think they are? Because that's going to be the key. If Omicron does break through and everyone's vaccinated at the rate that the government says they are, then yes, that's not a good thing. By don't get me wrong, but it won't be as devastating as it would be in if it had happened in the early stage of the pandemic when nobody was vaccinated. So we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. The the one thing I find funny is that it, in, and again, we keep coming back to this poor our poor neighbors in the group WeChat group. Was someone had pointed out that you know I've got friends back in the United States and they've got oh, they've gotten COVID twelve times and they're okay and <laughs> and then somebody put in, put somebody wrote in on a comment said yes because they grew up eating milk and eggs and steak yes. <laughs> we grew we we grew up eating rice and noodles and and being or pancakes and so their their bodies are structurally more secure and safer I, I was oh, like God, I'm- oh I'm like if I if I'm the messaging if I'm the messaging department for the local party and I'm saying this and I'm like uh, we we have we have some work work to do. Yes, I I've well, heard I've heard this thing for every for my all my time here in China, that, that there's this theory that somehow we're different kinds of human beings because we we grew up eating steak and hamburgers and they it's just it. Especially now, it's just ridiculous. But anyway, hopefully the next time we talk, I will have been released uh, from <laughs> captivity and I, I will be free to to roam the city. Uh, although I may not want to, but <laughs> for now, it's been great to see your face and to talk to somebody outside of my apartment building. <laughs> and uh, I should say that you know there are people who are going through way worse right now, obviously in the world, oh, yeah. but also in China. Uh, in terms of people who are being put into centralized quarantine and uh, the yep. conditions and some of the it, it, the conditions vary apparently wildly depending yeah. upon what city district you're in. And so there's some folks who are having some uh, real issues right now. And what, you know, 
being locked in my apartment and having to, you know, binge Peaky Blinders is not exactly going to <laughs> affect my life significantly. Although I do worry if we get taken away, what's going to happen to our dog, but be that as it may. So I, I just want to put that, put that out there. It's been nice to kind of share this experience and, and hopefully we can get back to talking about other things uh, the next time we meet. Well, David, I hope you are at least always free to roam. Thank you. I'm I'm free in my mind, and that's uh, I can roam in in my imagination, and that's the main thing, isn't it? Uh, all right. Well, it's Saturday, so you, you go out tonight. You have fun on my behalf, and uh, all right for all of you listening to us, stay safe out there. We'll talk to you again from Barbarians at the Gate.